and uh, I noticed that there were hardly any children. And, uh, and I, was, I, I stepped back out there, was looking outside at the cold and the snow and, and had to remember um, what it was like to have my young children at home. They're all grown now. And it just, it just made me appreciate the moms. All the moms. Um, sorry, dads. <laughs> I know how the real world, world works. All the moms that got up and in this cold weather got their kids ready and all that stuff and managed to get them here. And so by the time we get to the children's sermon, we have a whole bunch of kids here. And I just want to say uh, I'm grateful to you, moms, because I know it's a lot of work. And I'm appreciative of you. And um, so thanks for being here. On the Excellent. Outstanding. On the back of your bulletin, there's a whole bunch of things that uh, you need to read. We're getting ready to go to Haiti again. Our church is sending a team. And so uh, the Haitian Christian Ministries group is putting together their hygiene kits today, and they could probably use some help if you want to hang around. It's actually pretty fun. I did it last year. Ladies, uh, the ladies' uh, women's ministry is starting this Thursday, and so you want to know about that. At the bottom, we have uh, some Christian education things that uh, you need to be aware of. I'm going to be teaching uh, mid-February or whatever the date is, uh, February 22nd, teaching a class in basic theology where I really want to wrestle with those of you that have questions about what actually do we believe. We're going to work down through our doctrinal statement. Don't fall asleep yet. Don't fall asleep. Okay? And we're going to ask the questions, what, what is important about why are we Trinitarian? Why is that important to our lives and our beliefs? Why do we believe in a high view of Scripture? Why do we believe in uh, the ministry of Christ on the cross? What does that mean? And so we're going to start on the 22nd. On February 5th, I leave for Nepal, and so I'll be back in time to start this class. So anyway, these are things that you need to be aware of. All right, I'd like to uh, just pause and continue to pray and lift up our country and our world and all the turmoil that we're seeing around us. Father, as we just pause, uh, before we jump into a discussion of Africa, Lord, I would like to, first of all, honor our young moms, Lord, who carry such a burden, such a responsibility on their shoulders, so many things they have to do. And uh, I know, Lord, that they love their children, but their, their ability to see the value in their return will come years down the road. And I just pray that you would continue to bless them, give them strength and energy, Lord, and continue to help us as a church to help them feel valued and honored for the, their work. And Father, I do pray for our own country during the transition of presidency. And um, you know more than we do. We just read the headlines of the various uh, struggles and challenges and divisions that we have. And Lord, it's, um, sometimes it's hard for us to take. We, we look to you as a God who we do trust and who are very very uh, involved with our nation and all the nations, and we're thankful for that. And Father, we pray for our broader world. Help us to be peacemakers. Lord, uh, there are so many people out there doing things that we know are wrong and um, are not leading to peace. And Father, help us as a, as a global community. Help us, Lord, to know how to address some of this because we don't know. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thanks for sending your son for us for these very problems. In his name we pray. Amen. Today we begin a series, a journey at looking at how the gospel is worked out in uh, various nations and religions. And uh, in fact, we've called it the gospel in the nations. And today we're going to look at traditional African religions. Our goals in this series, uh, we have several goals. One is we want to contrast various religions with Christianity. 
the more you understand about Christianity and its uniquenesses, the stronger your faith will be. We are very unique. We are very different than all the other religions in the world. So we want to take the next five weeks. Thank you, Stefan. Stefan is the one that designed this series. I think I've told you that. Uh, I have different staff members design the series, and that, what do you want me to say? So he's the one that told me what he wants me to say. So if, he doesn't, if you don't like what I'm saying, blame him. Okay? <laughs> That's right. So we want to contrast various religions with Christianity. We want to show the effects of the religions on their own culture because the true test of a religion is the impact that it has within its own culture. And so when we look at the culture, is a culture what, when you look at these foreign cultures, is it the type of culture you think is legitimate or right? We want to show the, what the impact of Christianity is as it moves into this, this cultural setting. Um, and we want to celebrate our own community's engagement with the world. You know, we support missionaries. Uh, you support me. I'm leaving for uh, Nepal, February 5th. In September, I go to uh, Mozambique. And other people have gone. And uh, we have a Haiti team going. And so our church is actually very involved in global ministry. And we want to keep that in front of you so you can appreciate it. You're the ones that make that happen. We couldn't do it without your giving. So we are very appreciative. But another thing we want to do is we want you to, while we're working through this, as much as you're able, and I realize this is a challenge, to put yourself in the place of the people we're talking about. I don't want you to walk away and say we're better than they are. I don't want you to walk away and say, it's okay to say I'm grateful for where I was raised. But I want you to try to think for just a moment what it might be like to live in one of these countries, in these cultures and to feel a sense of what they might feel, the confusion, the fear, whatever it may be. So we'll do our best to help you, and I realize that's difficult. One of the things that we uh, risk doing is when we talk about religions, it's easy to have it as an academic discussion. It's easy for us to evaluate other cultures and, quite honestly, criticize, and I mean that in a technical, technical sense, look at the pros and cons of it. It's very difficult for us to um, evaluate our own culture. So when we get into this, we're going to talk about the African religions, but it'd be very interesting to hear what an African missionary to the United States thinks of with our culture, or a Korean. In my doctoral studies, I was surrounded by students from all the other nations, and it was fascinating to hear their thoughts. Yeah, you guys are individualistic. Boy, you're so consumed with materialism, significance, things that we don't even have the option of. Um, and it was just fascinating to hear a critique of us. It's very difficult for us to critique ourselves. So as we study these other religions, that gives us, in a sense, a point of contrast, a comparison with who we are and where we're headed. So I want to do that. We picked these particular ones uh, because we have involvement with them as a nation. as I mean, as a church, not a nation. So I just mentioned I go to Africa. I go to China, uh, India and Nepal every year. Uh, we have people that are getting ready to leave to go to Haiti. So next week, we're going to talk about voodooism, and we're going to have a discussion about Haiti and how different that is from our culture. Week after that, we're going to talk about Buddhism. Buddhism is very strong in China, Japan, India, and Nepal, uh, the eastern nations where I go. We're going to talk about Islam after that. Uh, uh, Stefan spent some time in Kashmir, and so he's going to talk to us about Islam in that country and look at the impact there. We're going to conclude on February 5th with the discussion of Hinduism, especially as it relates to Nepal and India. And then right after church, I'm going to get on a plane and fly to a Hindu country and do my thing there. And we'll talk about that as well. All right. When we talk about traditional African religions, that's a grouping that scholars have come up with 
to encompass as much as possible all of the religions in Africa. There are a plethora of nuances, different ways of uh, worshiping the Lord or worshiping God, their gods, um, and that sort of thing. And that we group them all together. What I want to do is highlight for you some of the common, just three of the common features that are different than us, but are very much are very powerful in their own culture. To begin with, um, at the all of the African nations and religions are very strong in their approach to community. Very strong communal setting. In just a minute, you'll understand why. It's very opposite to us. If they're on this end of the spectrum on community, we're on this end of the spectrum on individualism. We may think we're communal. We're not. We don't even understand it. One of the questions I get asked is, why do I always bring the community into the discussion? Well, if I could push the pendulum in America all the way over to here, all the way to the extreme and let it go, you know what happened? You guys would swing it all right back individualism you don't know how to not think that way we see it in our theology everything i say up here every verse you read you naturally interpret it as an individual if you were to take all of the commands the imperatives the pronouns in scripture uh, and make them plural the texas version y'all you would be right over 98 percent of the time the bible is addressed to the community more than the individual And as Americans, we can't grasp that. Hard for us to make sense of that. And so in Africa, they're on the other end of that spectrum, very community-oriented, very communal in their thinking, their worldview. Each of the local cultures, if I can use this word, it contains the various beliefs, and they dictate how each of those beliefs is lived out within their community. So the religions, while they overlap, they have distinct nuances from group to group, and Africa is huge. Africa is home to more language and diversity than any other continent. Their lifestyles, if you think about it, Mark just highlighted the desert, for example. Their lifestyles vary from nomadic, they they have no permanent home, they move from place to place, to sedentary, where they're in a city someplace or a home. They move from uh, chiefdoms, where you have little things and a chief may be in charge, to city-state, where you actually have a formulated government. They move from being hunters to being farmers to being uh, workers and jobs, and so it's very vast. Thus, the, the outcome of that is that their religious beliefs are, have evolved to suit their lifestyle and have become expressions of their local cultures. So you're going to you see the pictures up there. They're going to be going through them of uh, various ways in different parts of Africa, how they worship their god or gods. When new faiths come along, they do not destroy the cultures. They don't transform the culture. They don't change the culture. Typically, they are integrated or syncretized. That's something we're going to see in every religion. They absorb the religion into their own thinking. An example, when I teach in Hindu countries, I talk about human dignity. They have no idea what that means. They don't even have the concept. No language in their culture, no beliefs that make sense. So these young Christians who are in schools where I go and teach, even though they're Christians, they're still fundamentally Hindu. That's their worldview. And so in order to not allow them to change the idea and make it Hindu, we have to find creative ways in their culture to teach them an entirely new concept. Because the goal in Christianity is to bring a truth out that transforms a people, not lets the people transform the truth. 
And that's hard to do. Um, and that's what happens. They, they redefine their existing culture to bring this, to enculturate this into their language. Um, and it loses its power is what happens. So I, I, an example of that in, uh, in, in South Africa, when somebody is sick, they will still go to the witch doctor um, and with feathers, they'll sprinkle blood on them. Then they'll go to the Catholic priest where they'll have beads and they'll say the beads. And then they'll go to a diviner. There's a diviner right there actually up on the screen to help them divine the evil spirits. Uh, it, they're hedging their bets is what they're doing. That's really what they're doing. In fact, you do that as well. You tend to hedge your bets, you know, with God. But that's what they're doing with their gods. They have not, they have not seen the transformation that we believe in a one true living God. Okay, so while there's a whole variety of these indigenous religions, they do have some overlapping patterns, overlapping similarities. And I want to bring three to your attention. Number one, this is common among most of the African religions. There's a belief in an impersonal power. Get the word impersonal. That's important. It's very different than us. An impersonal power. All of creation, nature, all the objects that you see, everything is consumed or, or, or uh, uh, invested into this impersonal power. These powers are given by higher mysterious unknown powers. We don't really, they don't really know where they come from. They just know that a rock has power. That's what they know for good or bad. A tree has power, that sort of thing. The manifestation and use of these impersonal powers are vested in medicine men and women, diviners, seers who use natural objects, plants, animals, medicine, magic, charms, etc. The impersonal powers of each of these objects can be used for good or evil. Thus, the life of the traditional African is at the mercy of a benevolent or wicked user of the powers at their disposal. So the very first thing that's consistent among the religions is this belief in an impersonal power. Objects are imbued with, with personal power. The second thing is a belief, strong belief in the spirit world and spirit beings. There's a close relationship between spirit beings and these impersonal powers. That's where they get their powers from. Within this realm are the mystical powers, the magics, the witchcraft, sorceries, many other aspects. A core belief is that if only one knew how to master and control the realm of the supernatural, the world would be a much happier place. It's not much different than us, except we don't spend much time in the spirit realm. We have trouble because we're so rationalistic and science-based as a culture that we have trouble getting you to believe that there actually is a spirit world. If I could take these glasses off and put on spiritual lenses, this place would look vastly different than it does today. Angels, demons, all kinds of creations that the Bible talks about that we don't know what they look like. We believe that. And yet, we don't really live it out because we don't see it as part of our world. We like to explain things scientifically and logically. That's how we function. But we believe it's there. So in order, I try to get you to believe more in this. I don't know how it is that Paul says, I'm seated at the right hand of Christ. Because from my perspective, I'm standing up here in front of you. But Paul says in Ephesians 2, right now I'm seated at Christ's right hand. Both are true. I can't understand it. And it's hard for me to believe in this other world because I wasn't raised with that mindset. In a technical sense, that's called superstition. Okay, that, In other words, the belief, a strong belief in this other world. On the other side of this veil is a creation that was be, it predated us, and it's far more complex, beautiful, scary, wonderful 
than we are. And so at the very core of this is a belief that we could only, if we could only control the realm of the supernatural, the world would be a much happier place. So this searching has produced a variety of specialists, if I can use that term, medicine men, rainmakers, uh, mediums, diviners, sorcerers, magicians, witches, witch doctors. These are all specialists because the average person doesn't know how to interact with this spirit realm in Africa. They don't know how to access it, and they're frightened of it because contrary to us, where we believe in one true living God who is vested in our good interest, they live in fear because these spirits will hurt them, kill them, make them sick. You see, the gods are not there to be worshipped or uh, um, emulated. They're there to be managed and placated. We just want them happy with us. That's, and so all of these specialists come along and they, they tell them how to do that. Um, it also produces a core set of beliefs such as superstition, totems, taboos, rituals, and all of these rituals combined with a specialist, they come together to form a sort of compass, if you will, of how to navigate the evils of the spiritual world. Because the spiritual world is integrated in our life in every way. That's true with you, by the way. You, we just, you just don't know that. The spiritual life is very involved. The story of Job teaches us that. Um, that I'm grateful to serve a God who I can relax. He can control that realm. He will decide what Satan is allowed to do with my life. That's what Job teaches us. And I'm okay with that. But if you didn't know that and you didn't have that confidence and all around you in the spirit world is evil, then you need some way to navigate that complex and uh, really evil, heinous place. And that's what the specialists and the practices come together. Then you add to that the spirit of the ancestors. Uh, They are relied on to protect their families and navigate these treacherous paths. You see, the ancestors are the ones who have gone before. They're the ones who have gone before us, and so they know the way. So ancestral worship is very, very strong in the African communities because we we want to uh, trust them. We want to follow along what they say with what, and what they do. Um, <clears throat> a third category is belief in many deities. The various African religions have an elaborate and complex pantheon of deities. The various deities have their own sphere of influence and control. And so these deities take various forms, and this is common around the world. They oversee such areas of life. Now, remember, all these objects have power, you know, and, and the spirits invested are invested in them so they have uh they oversee areas of life so you have the sea the waters rain thunder fertility health sickness things that we look at that and we think there's nothing living in a mountain is there they believe there is nothing living in this rock we believe there is that's what they would say we don't believe it but they do so just imagine for a moment you're in the middle of this complex evil spiritual world Every object around you can hurt you, and you have no way to access it. Can you just picture the fear from that? No wonder you run to a witch doctor who claims to be able to tell you that. The complex relationship between the spirit beings, the many deities, uh, leaves open doors for things like religious accommodation. If I believe in a bunch of gods, and you come along with a new god, what if you were right and I missed it? We'll come back and talk about that. That's called henotheism. What if 
What if you're right and I just simply missed the God? So they're constantly opening the door and letting in new beliefs without ever changing them. They do believe in a higher deity, a highest deity, if you will. They even call it a creator God. But this God is unknowable and impersonal. Okay. What are the implications in culture? I've only mentioned three overlaps. It's far more complex than I'm presenting it. But I mentioned three just similarities between them. Let's look at the implications. What does this mean in culture? Which I think is the true test of any religion. The uh, implication of many deities and spirits is that their, quote, gods are not to be worshipped or emulated. They're to be placated, managed, usually out of fear. This leads to a very fear-driven, superstitious uh, culture. That's the effect of their religion. That's contrary to our thinking, isn't it? It's unusual for us to even imagine this. But this is one of the implications. Another one is the various practices of all of these religions are designed to exercise control so as to bring order to the world. Control is very important. We'll come back to that. But the specialists become critical and they exercise an inordinate amount of influence over the traditional African. When our, my generation and older grew up, you know, I had, uh, I had, three, newspa- I had uh, uh, three news channels and one newspaper, maybe two. And uh, all the information that came to me was all filtered. You think about the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, the Walter Cronkite, uh, Cronkite, right? You think about that. Everything that came to me was filtered. And then I had two or three key specialist authority that, authorities that would help me make sense of it. Pastors, police, school teachers, parents. Today, the average millennial is exposed to 300 gigabytes of data unfiltered every day. Every day. How do they decide? How do they decide what is accurate, true, right, and what's not? How many likes does it get? How do they know? That's the key way they make the decision. If their friends agree with it, it must be right. Those of us that are older, we can't even grasp that because we know how to filter and understand data. They don't know how to do that. So the, um, as time has moved on in our culture, people who are considered authorities are disappearing. For instance, I'm a pastor. I have very little influence in your lives. Nothing like 30 years ago. If I walked up to you 30 years ago and said you're in sin, you would quake in your boots. If you're Catholic, you'd run to confession. Right? Today I say it and you laugh at me. I have very little authority. Let's just say it like it is. I was speaking to a young couple this week and they're uh, living together and they had some issues in their relationship. And so we were talking about it. I said, so you guys aren't married? And I said, no. I said, okay, so you decide to live in sin. It's called it what it was. And they were both like, you know, swallowing their coffee. And I said, does that bother you that I said that? Do you even know what I mean by that? And they were honest, and they said, not really. Other than that, it feels like control. And I said, what if, what if all sin is, is a picture of something that you're doing that's going to hurt you later on? And they said, okay, how are we hurting ourselves? And I stopped and explained to them what happens when you put intimacy before commitment. What is the long-term effect of that? And she started to cry. No one's ever talked to us this way. Because 
I no longer carry authority. And I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm happy with my faith life. It's your life, not mine. <laughs> what you decide to do is your life. You want to run screaming in, into, the, into the arms of the Lord? Great. You want to run screaming away from the Lord? It's your choice. I'm going to let you do it. But, but that's not true in the African religions. They still have a very high regard for authority to the fact that, that these specialists have an inordinate amount of control. And for those of us that have taken and dedicated our lives to studying Lord, the Lord, his Bible, you would do well to listen to us. You really would. Because here's what we've produced in our culture, just to be very honest with you. The liberal churches have watered down the gospel so much they've lost their identity and they're all in decline. The conservative churches are guilty of the most heinous hypocrisies you can imagine. Because you can tell people it's sin for you to be living together, but you don't feel very bad about your own lusting after somebody else. It's called hypocrisy. Okay? That's what the conservative churches have, have tended toward, and we've become irrelevant. We've separated ourselves so far from culture that we can't even have the conversation anymore. African religions, these specialists have control over their lives. As a result, Africans are easily convinced of various heresies that come to their culture. Let me give you one example, prosperity gospel. I am convinced that is a heresy. I'm not afraid to say it. That if you only have enough faith, God will make you rich. I don't buy it for a second. I know of a specific case in, that, in uh, Mozambique where a young, fa- uh, not a young family, an older family, they own a plot of land. They've owned it for hundreds of years in their family. That's all they own. It's their place of living and their source of livelihood. It generates food for them as well as income. It's all they have. Along comes a Christian preacher who, who identifies himself as a Christian preacher. I don't think he is, but... They do. Now he's an expert. And you are taught to obey your experts without listening, without thinking. Says if you give that plot of land to me in the church, God will make you rich. So they do. They lose their source, their place to live. They lose their source of food. And they lose their livelihood. Now they're even poorer. And guess what? Now they're angry. I hate your God. So they're very open to these heresies. Power and control, it's another implication, provides the framework for how the various tribes and social relationships function. Specifically, three ways. In community, it's very critical to the African worldview. View, protection from the spirit beings is paramount. So if we hang together, I can watch what happens in your life and learn how to keep protected from these spirits. And so it's very important to surround ourselves with people. Second area is connection to the ancestors. This is established through worship of the ancestors and the begetting of children. Uh, the ancestors are the ones that will guide me through this complex maze, which leads to the third area is marriage. Marriage is required. Not to marry means at the end of existence, as we know it. There are no children, and blood relationships are important, and your ancestors are going to be a little ticked off if you don't have children. And so they will abandon you. So marriage and and bearing children is a critical piece of their life. So this forms a necessary part of their spiritual word of how to survive. This leads to polygamy and other forms of sexual and physical control. I mean, think about it. If your basic day-to-day life is to live in fear of the spirit world, you'd be better off under the control of somebody who knows how to manage that. 
Polygamy is strong in the tribal parts of Africa. There's no teaching on sexual morality, at least as we define it. And this leads to Africa being one of the greatest AIDS continents. By the way, that's true of almost all other religions. Very little teaching on sexual morality. Folks, we should be willing to tell people what we think. Sexual morality is destructive. It will kill you. It will destroy your soul. Someday, if you want to know more, have coffee. We'll talk about it. There's no concept of individual liberties, establishing of freedoms, creation of wealth. Thus, there's a strong element of poverty. So when Christianity comes into it, along with the other religions, such as Islam, for example, these other belief systems, they get syncretized and it generates what we know as henotheism, the worship of one god without denying the existence of the other gods. So therefore, they will hedge their bets. They'll go to a witch doctor, a Catholic priest, a Protestant pastor. That's what they'll do. Superstitions and fears are not removed. Rather, they're enhanced. And so now I have three options instead of one, or six options instead of four. That's how they think. Okay, let's talk just for a moment about Christianity's influence. I want to kind of bring her to a close in this. I'm going to talk about John 14, Jesus in the upper room, and listen to what we believe as Christians, okay? We believe in a personal God who's revealed himself in the, in the form of Jesus, a human. John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Right off the bat, we've just identified some way we're different. Don't live in fear. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Emmanuel, God with us. I'm coming back. We believe in a personal God who's revealed himself in his son Jesus. Additionally, we believe that humans carry dignity and they're shaped by God to impact each other for the flourishing of culture, not to manage fear. We believe God has given each of us dignity and respect to help each other grow in our culture, our flourishing as a people group. Listen to John 14, verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. You ever think about the fact that you do more than Jesus? Is that astounding? You read the story of the Acts, all the apostles. What's the one thing that they could not do that Jesus did? Only one. Provide for atonement of sin on the cross. Everything Jesus did in the way of loving people, helping the sick, healing the sick, raising people from the dead, whatever the plethora of things are, they did more than Jesus. And that's what he says. Those who believe in me, you're going to do more than I did. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. Why? For your personal pleasure? No. So that the Father may be glorified. We are the primary way that he glorifies himself in this broken world is us and our very lives. So we believe in that humans carry dignity and they're shaped by God to impact each other to create a flourishing community. We believe that God himself will live with us and guide us. John 14, verse 15. He says, uh, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. So we believe that God himself will live with us and guide us, not create fear and confusion 
He will know what to do. That's why we can look to our God and ask for his involvement with our political process because we have confidence in him. We believe that peace, shalom, which is the well-being of the entire person. We believe that this peace is the ultimate outcome of living in relationship with God. John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We are peacemakers. That's what we are. We are peacemakers. See how different our belief systems are than these traditional African religions? We generate a sense of well-being and flourishing and peace with our people, not fear and confusion. Uh, Very, very different. Okay, so what should the ramifications and culture be of our belief system as we move into a place like Africa or wherever we go? Here are some thoughts. Human flourishing. Because we believe in the one true living God who cares for the goodness and flourishing of all humanity, we should work with everyone, all religions, government agencies, believers, non-believers, atheists, Christians alike, we should be willing to work with everyone to promote human flourishing and peace. We should. We shouldn't draw battle lines and say, stay out. Because they do stay out. (laughs) And we don't want that. Freedom. Because we believe that humans were created to enjoy freedom, not only from each other, but from this spiritual world, we should work to restore human dignity in this freedom. Freedom not to be controlled by each other, but to be loved by each other. Peace. Because we believe that the basis for true peace is being in relationship with the one true God, we should work to introduce him to others. You see, fear is removed in a fear-based polytheistic world such as Africa when the Lord enters the relationship, if they truly understand who the Lord is. That's why he says, peace I leave with you. Do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Perfect love casts out fear. We can go on and on and on with the verses. This is important to us. Morality. Because we believe that genuine morality promotes human dignity, we should help others explain why sin is destructive. Some of you are old enough to remember the sexual revolution of the 60s. Who won? The men. Sexual immorality always leads to destruction. Genuine, genuine morality promotes human dignity. You are so important that I'm not going to sleep with you. That's how important you are. That's true, by the way. I know pastors all across the country. I, I could name you eight or nine right now, friends who have capitulated and given in. You are so important, I'm not going to sleep with you, men or women alike. That's how important you are. Morality is important. This ultimately leads to the removal of such detestable practices as sex, slavery, rape, poverty, and many other abuses. And we see that crumbling in our culture and more and more things are being allowed and it's wrong. It's just wrong. Don't believe it for a second. Interestingly, the Bible does not deny the existence of spirit beings, but rather condemns the practice of both worshiping them and attempting to control them. 
I firmly believe the Africans may have a, a valid point that there are evil spirits all around us. I'm just told not to worship them, consult them, or try to control them. Let the Lord God have his way. This is the gospel, these principles here. He cares about us. And this is what we bring to the table. When I travel to Africa and I teach these young students and pastors, these are the issues that we address. These very issues. This is very common. And others of you have been to Africa. How many of you have been to Africa? Let me see. Yeah, a bunch of you have. Some of you live there for a period of time. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. This is what we bring, is help them to separate and begin to distinguish what they were raised with, with what they live with now in their Christian belief. It's very hard to do. Like I said, if we were to bring some African theologians, uh, I have a couple of African commentaries in my library, bring African theologians here, they would be critiquing us. Why are you so consumed with, uh, with owning things? Wow. Isn't that a sin? Is that called greed? Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. They would just call it what it is. Why are you so consumed with uh, significance, pleasure, materialism? The list goes on and on. They would critique us that way, and it's hard for us to see it because we live in this world. This is our culture. The best critique comes from people who don't live in within the context of culture. That's why the global church is really important to understand each other's weaknesses and our temptations and tendencies. Their thought is, if God bless you with, with uh, a house... Great, you should share it with everybody in the, in the community. You know, who of you makes the most money? God put you there on purpose to bless those of us that don't make enough money. But that, we don't think that way, do we? I hope that you appreciate the culture in which you have been raised, but are also willing to hold it loosely, recognizing that uh, we have our own struggles with, with cultural accommodation and sin, and we do. Let's be honest. Let's just call it what it is. We can trust the Lord to continue to guide us into what does that mean. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for my country. I'm grateful for you, my church. I'm grateful for here, although there's a little bit too much snow from time to time. But I'll get over it. Father, thank you for sending us your son. Thank you for, first of all, creating a world of so many various and diverse peoples. Lord, as we look at the African religions, we recognize that that fear base. That superstitious pace, Lord, is really not what you're after. Uh, we're willing to admit, Lord, even our own shortcomings that we may not be. Uh, what we're saying as far as materialism and gathering of wealth may not be what you're after as well. Um, but, Lord, it's hard for us to understand. But we do pray for our African Christians, brothers and sisters who live in that context and who are trying to make a difference in their own culture for you and your son. Thank you. His name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask